Hi, I'm Sasha, and you're listening to Sasha's Political Hypothesis. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing direct and representative democracy in the UK. So the definition of a direct democracy would be where you simply involve citizens in decision-making through, for example, referendums or allowing people to express their views by consultation and etc. Whereas representative democracy would be where the electorate, so voters, elect representatives to make decisions and that is on their behalf. So that gives them authority and accountability for their decisions. Everybody gets a say in the decision when you use direct democracy. For example, in the 2016 EU referendum, this was the greatest democratic exercise in British political history, in my opinion, and everyone had a say in the people that voted. Technology, as well, makes it easier, and online participation and e-democracy all strengthen democracy. If a petition receives over 100,000 signatures, the government has to consult the idea and debate over it. Although they are not legally bound to making any reforms after that petition, they bring attention to it, and political attention may gain more votes. Furthermore, equal weight is given to all voters, unlike being split into 650 constituencies, which you would be under your MP for a general election, and you have to take into consideration safe seats where one party dominates, which could create bias in the results. Therefore, it encourages popular participation, for example, in the 2014 Scottish independence referendum, where 16 year olds were allowed to vote and the results we saw were mind-boggling they were 70 to 75 percent turnout so from that we can infer that bigger issues that are subject to referendum will result in a bigger turnout which is normally higher than the general election representative democracies There is also an argument that direct democracy would build a sense of community and responsibility. For example, the Good Friday referendum in Northern Ireland paved way for Catholics and Protestants to share power in a province that had been divided by conflict for centuries. The Electoral Reform Society found that the Scottish independence referendum was conducted in an open and honest way, which reasoned with arguments and evaluated views and it also elevated the level of political discussion and educated people. However, there are always disadvantages when we come to direct democracy. Although we spoke about there being a sense of community and responsibility, we have also seen that it can as well divide communities. In the EU 2016 referendum, there was exposure of deepened division between regions. For example, Scotland voted to remain in the EU. However, it may have been tyrannised by the English, and this term of tyranny of the majority is something we will come to later. Only 27% of 18 to 24-year-olds voted to leave the EU, compared to 60% of people aged 65 and above. Between working classes as well, majority of the working class opted to leave compared to the middle class. The idea of tyranny of the majority comes from politician John Stuart Mill, who had the belief that the minority was often ignored. For example, the number of anti-immigrant tax increased during and after the EU referendum. 
The Polish community center in Hammersmith had many swastika symbols. So, it, this makes the minority intimidated. Therefore, we can argue that direct democracy may undermine representative democracy. Plato further feared it would undermine the legitimacy of representative institutions as politicians would avoid making tough decisions. The next point is that UK's political stability was very compromised after the EU referendum. Two PMs resigned, the opposition party broke in half and deteriorated. Following the 2010 to 2015 coalition with Lib Dems and Conservatives, the Lib Dem party was arguably destroyed. The DUP agreement with the Conservatives in the 2017 general election dealt with several negotiations. So therefore we see this instability that direct democracy can produce. Another disadvantage would be the lack of accountability. The British people made decisions to leave the EU, but how can they be held accountable if the decision proves to be the wrong one? One could argue that as well as direct democracy, this is really inappropriate for large populations to make such decisions. This leads on to the next disadvantage, which is decision-making is often too complex for ordinary voters. The idea of EU membership, for example, there was no ideas on how much the UK budget was left, the customs union, the single market and what that would entail, with the tariffs and quotas being lifted, and this was all found out and discovered after the referendum. So taking into account the direct democracy, now we can compare this to representative democracy and move on to the advantages of that. So the first advantage is that it links to the last advantage of the direct democracy. With the last disadvantage of direct democracy being too complex, maybe representative democracy is better, as the elector, elected representatives are more informed and educated, so therefore would re- lead to quicker results. The Great Repeal Bill attempted to incorporate existing EU law into UK law, sought to address which bodies and ministries would argue and gain power if the UK withdraws from the EU. The only act of parliament and only acts of parliament could have saved that level of complexity. The second advantage is accountability. Representatives can be voted out, even with high-profile ministers. For example, in 1997, Michael Portillo, or Chancellor Ed Balls, in 2015 lost their seats. Representatives can be experts in their fields, whereas direct democracy does not allow that to happen. The third and arguably the most prominent advantage of representative democracy would be that it encourages a pluralistic democracy. And this is where the government makes decisions as a result of the interplay of various ideas and contrasting arguments from competing groups and organisations. Political parties, for example, provide a clear choice. Corbyn pledged to abolish tuition fees, take the rail franchises back to public reform and ownership. They can provide compromise so everybody gets a section of what they want. In direct democracy, often a yes or no answer is binary and compromise is not an option. The last advantage would be that direct democracy does not do a good job of protecting minority rights. 
So this is the idea of tyranny of the minority that we spoke about. However, representatives gives a voice to minorities. The Human Rights Act and Freedom of Information Act, for example, it trains future leaders for the country. For example, Boris Johnson was an MP, then he was the mayor of London, then again an MP, and then the Sir and Chancellor's and Chancellor David Cameron's cabinet, a foreign secretary into the Theresa's May, and then the Prime Minister. Now we're moving on to disadvantages of representative democracy. Representatives do not always do what is in people's wills, but to further their own careers. Many Labour MPs, including Claire Short, Lib Dems voted for tuition fees despite despite other manifesto values in their coalition to hold in place their government. Political parties are often determined by elites pursuing own agendas. Theresa May's party said that after DUP, the agreement, Northern Ireland would get £1 billion for their support of the top-up in the minority Conservative government. May's example is an idea of the elites pursuing their own agendas, so perhaps representative democracy is worse. Politicians can be incompetent or corrupt. They can claim dubious expenses scandals, such as the Duck House expensive scandal, that jailed and fired MPs. Grant Chaps did not submit his expenses after becoming a minister in Cameron's government, and yet he has just been promoted by Johnson. And that shows a lack of trust. The next point would be that not all voters get the get the representation they want. Fast past the post leads to unproportional representation of smaller parties, and that shows when UKIP won nearly four million votes in 2015, but only one seat and one MP in the House of Commons. So, this may also get reduced participation as people choose not to hand over their responsibility to politicians or feel as their vote does not count. So, voter apathy becomes a problem. Only 59% turnout in the 2021 in the 2001, sorry, general election has become 73% in the 2017 one, but again dropped by 1.3 in the 2019 general election but still has become nothing like the Scottish independence referendum, which is an example of direct democracy, or in the Brexit referendum of 72%. Furthermore, minorities may feel unrepresentative, as this does not actually represent their concerns, even in a representative democracy. Politicians still seek to win over a majority of voters to stay in power, so target electoral heartlands. For example, Maidenhead is Theresa May's conservative heartland. Conservatives sought to play on fears of immigration as well. And this is in order to secure power. MPs proposed amendments to the bill that authorised the triggering of Article 50 and that would have guaranteed the status and rights of the EU citizens living in the UK after Brexit. MPs, however, rejected these amendments in the House of Lords. This meant that the guarantees of a permanent residence were not protected and set in stone. So minority rights are adversely affected, also leading to the tyranny of majority, as John Stuart Mill claimed. So now we're moving on to our conclusive and AO3 section. So we're talking about which one is actually better for democracy and we're coming to a judgment.
Referendums are not only the best way to run a country. We have seen the lack of protection for minority rights, and many parts of the UK may feel tyrannised by the English as it has voted to remain. Young people may feel alienated by that referendum, so it creates segregation and further minorities feel threatened. Although representative democracy exposes the racial segregation and sexual segregation, many of these issues are reflected upon by representative democracy, like the Sex Discrimination Act in the 1970s, for example. So in that sense, representative democracy is better. As said by Plato, direct democracy in the form of referendums can really affect political stability, seen due to Brexit and the political outrage it has caused. Johnson lost two votes in the House of Commons and the MPs have tried to take over the order paper and tried to stop No Deal. If we had to talk about other forms of direct democracy like e-petitions, online consultations, etc. or recall elections, then there are forms of direct democracy that complement representative democracy and it's a way of showing politicians. Arguments against e-petitions are that politicians are not legally bound to actually make change or act on the issue. It may only be a debate. Trump still had a state visit, even though there was a petition to stop it that reached well over a million signatures. However, this does not allow ordinary people to not express their opinions. They can freely express their mind, and as well as that, it brings public attention to issues. The tampon tax, for example, was raised through an e-petition and VAT on sanitary products, and in 2021, it will be reduced. Recall elections can also complement the representative system. Politicians can be corrupt. This gives constituents the opportunity to foster and galvanise MPs to bring in a by-election. However, there are still complexities like Parliament has to find wrongdoing, a death, etc. But if you get 10% of constituents agreeing for the recall of an MP, a by-election would be triggered. And this allows accountability to MPs by constituents. For example, there were two recalls in 2019, so we can see that it can be apparent. However, overall, there are certain flaws of direct democracy that may as well complement and strengthen representative democracy.